From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, this is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry, and it's my privilege to welcome to the podcast Captain George Phillips, USMC Retired, who is the chairman of the board of the Father Capadano Guild. George, thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure. And we have an event coming up uh, on September 4th, uh, the annual Capadano Mass. Uh, Tell me about the Mass, and uh, uh, George, you work with Father Capadano, so uh, tell us uh, both about the Mass and uh, Father Capadano. having for, I would guess, 10 or 12 years. Uh, it's always on the 4th, if we can. That's, that's the day that Father Capadano died. Uh, and it's a chance, it, it's, it's an opportunity for uh, all the supporters of, of the Guild, uh, the Marines that knew Father Capadano, the corpsmen, uh, that new Father Capadano, uh, most of us are getting pretty old, uh, but there's still a lot of us, and, and people fly from all over the country uh, to come to celebrate uh, the anniversary of Father Capadano's death. Uh, the celebrant is uh, almost always uh, Archbishop Rolio, who is uh, the Archbishop for the uh, AMS, and uh, it's it's always a great affair. I know for myself. Uh, I don't know whether you should call a mass a great affair, but uh, but the mass is always beautiful. It's uh, the national shrine of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, is is where they have it, and uh, the the mass is always beautiful. Uh, it ends with taps, and uh, and just getting to see. You know, old friends and guys we are in combat with, and uh, you know, it's a once a year opportunity for for us all to to see each other again. And uh, you know, it's just uh, it's just a wonderful experience. So, just to bring our listener up to date, uh, the uh, annual memorial mass for Father Capadano will be held on September fourth this year. That's a Wednesday evening at six thirty p.m at the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception here in Washington, D.C. That's at 400 Michigan Avenue Northeast. And Father Capadano was a Maranol priest from Staten Island. You're also from New York, right, George? Right, yeah, I grew up in Brooklyn. So, you know, much later when I found out he was uh, from Staten Island, I I found that curious. (laughs) Uh, Just across the bridge. Yeah, well, back then we didn't have a bridge. The only way to get across was with a the only way to get across was with a ferry. And uh, so you had common ground from the first time you met Father Capadano. You were in Vietnam. You were in the Marines. Uh, tell me about that first meeting and uh, the impression you had of Father Capadano. What makes him such a special man? Well, uh, you know, if I can, I'll go back just a little bit earlier. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, he was with 1-7 uh, before 
before he came to uh, Mike 35. And this was 1966. And, you know, when you, you had a chance for it to take a day or two off, to use the, the common term, uh, you'd get a chance to go down to Da Nang, you know, where they had uh, clubs and movies and stuff like that. But, but what was interesting was, instead of being just with 3-5 or 1-7, there were people there from every unit in the division. And you would sit you'd sit and talk. And I remember the, uh, being down there, I want to say in like uh, maybe January, February 67. Uh, I forget why I went down. But they were talking about the Grand Padre. Uh, and they were guys from 1-7. And uh, they were saying how great he how great he was, uh, you know that uh, the troops just loved him. But unlike most chaplains, uh, he traveled uh, out on the patrols, you know, walked the lines, which is a dangerous thing to do. Uh, and uh, and they they talked to him, talked about him. Uh, you know, almost like they were in, in awe of him. And and they were saying when he left 1-7, things were never the same. So I had heard about him long before I ever met him. And uh, and his reputation spread so, so far is that Stars and Stripes, which is the newspaper over there now, uh, or then and now in Afghanistan. U.S. military news paper. Right. Yes. And uh, and they wrote about him as uh, the Grand Padre. So that's where, you know, they started calling him the Grand Padre in one seven, and then they, when they published the two articles on him, called him the Grand Padre. He was stuck. So uh, so you were uh, you're Catholic. You're from New York, from Brooklyn, right just up. across the, the the bay there, the harbor there from uh, Staten Island. So you were and you, and you heard these great things about uh, this priest. Uh, you, you were predisposed to um, appreciate the man before you even met him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were curious, you know, I mean, I was very curious about him. Uh, and in August of 67, uh, you, know, uh, you know, like the 1st of August, right around then, uh, he was assigned to Mike 3-5. And uh, uh, first time I met him, let me say it this way. He was like a people magnet. Wherever he went, the troops would gather around and, uh, uh, you know, just talk and laugh. And, you know, and you know, he had a good sense of humor. Uh, he always had cigarettes, which uh, was not for me, but for most, most of the Marines smoked. And, uh, and uh, you know, and so I went over and joined... You know, the group that was just standing around. And at the time, I didn't know it was Father Capitano. And one of the guys told me, he said, it's, it's, it's the Padre. So uh, anyway, we, uh, we, as a group, just kind of sat there and joked around and talked about, uh, I believe, a patrol. We were all going to go out the next day. And Father said, well, I'll be there with you. And we all kind of <laughs> looked at each other and said, I guess he. I guess he really means it, and 
you know, what we heard. And then after they broke up, the the group, I wore, I remember going up to Father and introducing myself and told him I was from Brooklyn and, uh, you know, that I'd been to Staten Island and I had a good idea where he lived. And, uh, and so we, uh, you know, at least we got to know each other a little bit. Uh, and then they followed on where, where I would see him in mass, uh, confession. Uh, and then just, uh, he was great just to, just to talk to, because when you, you know, when you talk to him, you know, either in a group, uh, but more particularly one-on-one, you would, if you stood within two feet of him or three feet of him, even if there were 10 people around, and he was talking to you, uh, or you were talking to him, he was only focused on the person he was talking to. And and when you talked to him, uh, he, uh, he generated such a feeling of, uh, of comfort and safety uh, and uh, just made, it just made you, you feel, you know, I mean, there could be rifles going off, mortars coming in, uh, but it was like you were, in, you were in a bubble. And his eyes, when you looked in his eyes, it was, I mean, you know, they just, it changed me forever. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, he could look into your soul. The eyes, his eyes would capture you, and uh, and uh, it gave you a great feeling. I I didn't know at the time what it was, but as you know, as I thought about it, you know, as time went on, it, it was like uh, he was generating God's love, uh, you know, to to you and uh, and anybody else who might be around. But if you if you were Within two or three feet, and you were talking to him one on one. That's an experience you'd never forget. He cast calmness in a very difficult and violent environment. Let me back that's up. Right. Let, let me back up just for a minute and catch up on some of the. Uh, what is a uh, Mike three five and I think one seven uh, for the listener who's not uh, versed in uh, military terminology? What, <laughs> what 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 do those mean? Okay. All right, so uh, 1st Marine Division uh, was the division we were in. The division would have uh, typically three regiments. Each regiment would have three or four battalions, and the battalions were named by 1st Battalion, 7th Marines, 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines, 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines. So, So... the shorthand was, you know, you would say, I'm in 1-7. Uh, likewise, within those battalions, there were uh, usually four rifle companies. And the rifle companies uh, for, like, 1-7 would be uh, A, B, C, D, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta. And, uh, and so it went on. So uh, when he came to us in Mike 3-5, uh, we were 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines, and Mike Company, which was uh, the 3rd Company in the uh, the battalion, the 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines. Okay, so this priest who was uh, really had a special presence about him, 
in the middle of a war, in the middle of combat, he had a calming influence. And he was uh, a, a, a man who liked to to hang out with the grunts, is why, is why you said he became the, known as the grunt padre, sort of like Ernie Pyle, I guess, was in World War II. <laughs> Uh, yeah. anyhow, so, uh, let's, let's fast forward and, uh, uh, father Capadonna was killed in action. He was unarmed. He was, uh, running around a battlefield, uh, uh, as, uh, some of you, you and, and your colleagues were, uh, caught under ambush. Uh, tell us about what happened yeah. that day. Yeah, that was, uh, an interesting day. The, uh, well, first of all, we, we were all down in the LZ waiting for the helicopters. What is the, and, sorry, what is the LZ? Oh, the landing zone where the uh, helicopters would come in and get us. And, uh, and Father Capadano was down there. He used to hand out St. Christopher medals uh, and uh, Catholic, Jewish, Protestant, you know. Anybody who wanted one got one. Uh, and I remember as, as we were getting ready to go, the Marine went up. Asked for a medal, and Father didn't have any more, so he took off his own and gave it to him. Uh, and uh, did the same thing for uh, a good friend of mine. I'll not say his name, but uh, he went to confession uh, for the first time in many years. But he didn't have a rosary to say his penance, so Father gave him a rosary. And it's uh, it's uh, these little things. But anyway. We're, we're in the LZ, uh, you know, just waiting for the helicopters to come in. Father Capadano was down there. Uh, you know, I, I learned later he had been told he could not go on the mission. Uh, but he stayed down there, and it turns out that as we all flew out, he got, on, he got on the last helicopter because there was nobody left in the LZ to tell him he couldn't. So... Uh, so we landed in uh, the first place we were supposed to land. We took, we were taking way too much fire to put the helicopters down. So they took us to uh, an, uh, an alternate uh, LZ landing zone, and uh, and then we started walking from there. Now there's, I don't want to get into too much detail, but uh, the last two days, uh, two battalions from fifth, uh, different battalions from one uh, first battalion, fifth Marines got into uh, uh, trouble with ambush, uh, lost a lot of people, and so we were going to help them. Uh, and as and I was walking up front. I was with 1st Platoon. I was like the third guy in line. Uh, and we walked over this, what's now referred to as the knoll. And we walked over the knoll, and we started down uh, the front of it. And the, the point man says, I think I just saw a bush move. And so the platoon sergeant uh, yelled back, uh, tell him if, if it moves again, shoot it. So about, about 30 seconds later, you, you hear like five rounds get ripped off. And then, then everything goes. I mean, there was mortars, 50 cal, 5.56, five, uh, you know, uh, Fred Tankey likes to say, if you'd put your hand in the air, you could have got your fingernails clipped. <laughs> uh, but I'd never, I'd never seen that much, 
that much firepower, you know, because I had been there for nine months and I've been in, you know, dozens of operations and some of them were pretty severe uh, and had seen a lot of combat at that point. But I had never seen anything like that. And uh, in, in the middle of all that, I got, I was wounded right away. So I just, I patched up my legs and, you know, I continued to work through the day and through the night. But uh, uh, in the middle of all this, <clears throat> I see Father Capadano. And on, on top of the, the knoll, there was a big bomb crater. So that became like uh, the company headquarters, and that's where the wounded were brought, and that's where, uh, you know, after we got all the wounded, the dead would go. And uh, But this went on from like 10 o'clock in the morning uh, and probably to 11 o'clock at night. Uh, and it, it just did not let up. Uh, the Father Capadano uh, uh, got up to where the fighting was, and uh, there's, there's a number of stories, but... Uh, but, but the, the the main thing was that he would not stay in the CP. What is the CP? He would be uh, command post. The uh, he would see wounded Marines, wounded corpsmen. He would go down to them uh, if they were dying, last rites, uh, and uh, just consoling them if they were wounded. Uh, and he was he always. You know, you think when everybody's, you got that much firepower going, you'd stay as low as you could. I mean, I know I did. Uh, but but he would sit up so that he could look into the eyes of the person he was talking to. And I, the first time I'd seen him do that, I said, he must know the power of, of, of what he can do when he's close. And, and... He had. He, he must have had some sense of the comfort that that came out. Uh, I don't want to say of his eyes, but for me, that for me, that's what it was. In any case, uh, he continued this for oh, about three hours, uh, two or three hours. I don't know how many times he went up and down that hill, bringing bringing wounded in, bringing the wounded uh, in from the field of battle. He's out on the field of battle. Oh yeah, yeah. He's right down with all of us. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, he'd go around, but he was down helping wounded and those that were dying. You know, he didn't have a weapon. Uh, about halfway through, I guess maybe early afternoon, uh, he got shot in the hand and, uh, and then later got shot again in the shoulder. And he just let those wounds go. He wouldn't even let the corpsman dress him. He said, save, save her for somebody who needs it. And uh, so he, you know, just uh, continued on working with one arm, uh, doing everything he could. But towards late afternoon, uh, he'd come down the hill, and uh, there were uh, a corpsman and Marines uh, behind some rocks, uh, but not big enough to fully protect them, and and uh, and they were both wounded. 
and uh, uh, the, the Marines who were with him, there was like a path between him and where the wounded were. And they and they they yelled at him, Padre, don't cross the path. Everybody that crosses gets shot. And uh, and they yelled at him two or three times, but uh, uh, he was determined to get to the corpsman and the Marine. And uh, he he ran directly to him, started ministering to him. I don't know. He crossed the path and he didn't get shot, which was amazing. But uh, uh, while he was ministering to the corpsman and uh, uh, the Marine, uh, he got shot in the back uh, with a fifty cal rifle twenty six times, and uh, uh, you know that's the last time I saw him alive. But uh, uh, and and the word, you know, later on at night we're bringing in, we have all the wounded, and now we're going down and bringing in the dead. And and so, you know, we bring in Father Cavadano, but we didn't know it was Father Cavadano because it was so dark. And uh but when we brought him into the up to the top of the hill to the command post, the co- the company commander looked at him and saw the silver on his collar. And uh so, you know, took a look and uh said, Oh, it's Father Cavadano. So we had basically two areas, one for the dead and one for the wounded. And he had us put Father Capadano in a separate area. And he was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor for his bravery. And his, he was. And, and his, he already had two, uh, two bronze stars. And so he is now under consideration for canonization by the Catholic Church. And you are chairman of the board of the Father Capadano Guild, which is uh, uh, overseeing that uh, that uh, that uh, process. Uh, t- tell me a little bit about that. Where do where, where do you stand now in in his cause for canonization? Okay, uh, we we've, we've been working uh, and a number of people because there's really a tribunal. The guild is part of the the tribunal. Uh, but through the works of everybody that's involved, uh, we have gathered, two years ago, we had finished gathering up every piece of information uh, that we could get from Father Capadano, all his writings, uh, interviews with the family, uh, everything to make sure that there was nothing derogatory, nothing uh, you know that would preclude him moving forward for the cause for canonization, and we found absolute. Actually, we found some some amazing letters, and uh, you know, it's really, it's just more of Father Capadano the way he was. And I know so, you're. Uh, two, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, two years ago, uh, Archbishop Brolio uh, signed off on the package of all the information we had gathered. It, it's called the Acts. And uh, in May, two years ago, 17, uh, those acts were hand-carried to Rome, uh, and uh, they're with the postulator, and they are going through now, and they're being, everything's being re-verified by, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
somebody who was not involved with the cause. Uh, and that's going along as, as fast as anything could go in Rome. And we often uh, hear that uh, uh, saints, uh, one of the things that's required is that there be some kind of uh, uh, documented intercession or uh, maybe a miracle cure. Uh, and I know you're limited in what you can say, but uh, um, is, is this part of that process, George? Yes, the uh, uh, the first part of the process is was earlier back in two thousand six when we sent you know what we had over there without all the verification and uh, he was declared a servant of God, which is the first step towards uh, canonization. Uh, I, I I can tell you this: we have uh, what we believe to be two miracles. We, you know, we've heard about a lot more and we've investigated a lot more, but obviously the only thing we're going to send to Rome are, are, you know, one or two of that look like the best best chance of of passing the scrutiny. Uh, About a month ago, uh, down in Florida, uh, the uh, Archbishop of, I forget, which archdiocese, but he sent a package of the acts where they had verified a, uh, a miracle. Uh, they had got the the doctors, the statements, uh, you know, everything that Rome would do, they did. And that was delivered to Rome, I want to say, about a month ago. Uh, and there was one that went with the original package. Can, can, can you give us any details, or uh, is it too sensitive at this point to say? Uh, I, I guess I, I, I could say this. The latest miracle, uh, uh, a woman uh, had, uh, I, think it, I think it was leukemia, and, and they... Uh, they had been treating her for four or five years. Uh, you know, she was getting worse and worse, and you know, I guess, I, I guess she didn't have too far to go. And uh, but the family kept praying every day to Father Capadano. And then one day she started to get better. And uh, so the doctors came in, and uh, you know, they took her up, ran a CAT scan. Uh, uh, ran a scan, a brain scan, and all the signs of the leukemia were gone. Wow. Uh, she no, she no longer had leukemia, and right now she's living a normal life. So the general public can come pay our respects to Father Capadano, uh, once again on September 4th, Wednesday evening, September 4th at 6.30 p.m., uh, in the Crypt Church of the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception at 400 Michigan Avenue Northeast here in Washington, D.C. His Excellency, the Most Reverend Timothy P. Broglio, Archbishop for the Military Services USA, will be the principal celebrant and homilist. And Captain George Phillips, USMC, retired, speaking to me from Sarasota, Florida. George, thank you so much for talking to me today. Hey, Taylor, always a pleasure.